Welcome to the FitPro Podcast, a brand new initiative from FitPro for forward-thinking professionals who want the latest information while on the move. We hope you enjoy this week's pod, and for further information about today's podcast, head over to our social media pages and start the conversation. And to offer feedback and suggestions for future podcasts, get in touch with us at publish at fitpro.com. Welcome to the FitPro community. Guys, today we are going to dive into the sea of performance and specifically talk about the idea of plyometrics for all. Traditionally, plyometrics is part of the training spectrum that is reserved for athletes and elite in fitness enthusiasts. Often, it's a scary subject for trainers and personal trainers with a reputation for being complicated and skirting with injury. Today, with the help of Anthony Fletcher, AKA Fletch, we are going to uncover the truth about plyometrics and how we can broaden our programming and enhance our coaching with the use of plyometrics. So guys, without further ado, I would like uh, you to introduce yourself today, Anthony. Um, Let's know a bit about you, who you are, um, what you do and who you work with, mate. Hey guys, how you going? Uh, I said yes, aka Fletch. Uh, All my friends call me that and I'm a third generation Fletch actually. (laughs) My granddad and dad were all called the same. Um, My background's in personal training. So I went down the uh, work experience route and wanted to get into working with clients early on rather than the slightly longer uh, process of getting a degree. I wanted to work with people straight away. So I went down that road, went down to more of a preventative side of things pretty much straight away, working with physios and osteos and everything else to try and further my knowledge into movement pattern analysis and all that kind of stuff. Worked with a physio for seven years, a guy called Martin Haynes, who uh, I think has worked with FitPro previously in other lectures and when the, the physical aspect with it was still there. And then from there, we designed a concept around allowing personal trainers to assess for injury risk. So we call this intrinsic biomechanics. And having lectured on it and talked about it a number of years, wanted to use it on people and then started ending up working with runners. So then we launched a run club uh, called One Track Run Club, which then subsequently has gone virtual. So we're now delivering virtual sessions. We try and bring the science to the people. (laughs) Say again? Yeah, which I've been a part of. I've been... Yeah. You part. jumped in on some of the sessions. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. So yeah, we work with mainly, mainly runners. We try and bring the science to the session. Um, so we don't want people just to turn up and get a workout in. We want them to get the right workout. We want them to get the right adaption, help develop their knowledge base and also their performance as well. Yeah, so that, and, and I, I get that. So I've, I've been on your plyometric sessions, love those plyometric sessions, which is why we're talking about it today. Um, you know, uh, and, and I like it because you do, you just pepper in the science and the why, um, and, you know, you give us uh, something to, to kind of motivate, but also to check in with, are we doing this well enough? Mm. Uh, you know, are we doing it in the right way? But, but why we're doing it, I think that's really important. Um, to understand why we're going through that so so yeah that's cool um, and so uh, do you do you work with any anything else anything else you kind of are currently working on at the moment 
Yeah, so I, I, I've continued checking with clients, obviously, working one-to-one, obviously mainly virtual right now, from the everyday athlete, uh, the person who just wants to try and develop themselves in some form. I don't tend to work with the usual sort of weight loss goals. We'll turn it into something else. We'll turn it into a time trial system or uh, they're looking to certain goals around they want to run their first half marathon they want to run their 5k at a certain time we'll work around that aspect of it and then the byproduct is with the other results they're looking for um and then i'll work with some age group uh, team gb triathletes so they're working to compete for our country on the weekends when uh we have races coming back together again and uh off the back of that we also work with ultra endurance athletes because there's no professional status for those guys. They just run as far as they can, as fast as they can. Um, and one lady in particular is now trying to run from John O'Groats to Land's End. So she's trying to run the, the height of the country. Perfect. That sounds awesome. So with all of these guys, I guess uh, it, it segues nicely into the idea of, uh, of plyometrics. And, and the guys you've spoken about, you know, they all sound like they're really physically able and capable but we're going to hopefully open up that box and open up and broaden the spectrum of who you can work with plyometrics today i guess before we get into that though anthony what um let's start at the beginning okay let's start at the beginning with some of the questions that i've got for you today and the first one is what is plyometrics okay how is it defined and where do we commonly see it take place not just in sport but also, I'm really interested in real life side of things as well. Absolutely. I think it's really important to define what we're talking about when it comes to anything, especially exercise related, because there's probably a lot of opinions um, out there. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is to, I just, you just did a quick Google search on the dictionary different definition of what plyometrics is, and it's, it's as vague as we would expect. So an exercise form that involves rapid and repeated stretching of a contracting muscle designed to increase strength. That's literally what it's defined as. I think some people have placed a numerical value on that. So a plyometric is, uh, I think it's 0.235 seconds worth of contact time. Below that is considered a plyometric. And after that, we don't seem to utilize the same stretch shortening cycle, which uh, is what we're trying to use as part of that particular exercise choice. So that stretch shortening cycle is where the muscle goes through this rapid stretching phase or eccentric load. And then there's a subsequent um, contraction to then rebound and uh, save the muscle basically. So we have that Golgi tendon organ stored within the muscle spindle. They're constantly monitoring either tension at length or they're measuring stretch speed. And what we're trying to get is that stretch speed reflex to then have that contraction on the back of it. So that, and, and where would you, where, where do you see this? I mean, give us an example. I tell you what, give us an athletic example and then give us a, something a bit more kind of real life and normal. Sure. So athletic example would be something like the contact of a sprint. So for example, you're coming out of the blocks, you have that first footstep, which is really slow. You're looking at about a second uh, and below for that first propulsive power. And then every step after that, hopefully, you're on the, top, on the ground for less and less time. So you're looking at a full-blown Usain Bolt sprinter, looking at 0.1 of a second of contact time. That would be defined as a plyometric. Okay. Um, that would be kind of the idea of that stretch shortening cycle. 
but then things like basketball, you're about to try and do a slam dunk. You're approaching the basket, you plant both feet, bang, suddenly you're doing a vertical jump. That would also try and utilize the same thing. Um, everyday examples are things like jogging on the spot, going for a run. Those would be trying to utilize the same kind of stretch shortening cycle. Um, and different phases of the run have a different muscle that will go through that phase. So it's, it depends on what we're talking about, but everyday things are uh, a lot more apparent than I think we, we realize. Okay. So that, di that definition, I mean, I think that the, the point that I'm trying to discover myself as a trainer at the moment is how important is that definition and how important is that value of 0 0.235 and, hmm. um, and really, you know, can I still define what I do with my clients um, and their journey towards plyometrics as plyometric? Does that make some sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like we said at the beginning in that intro is that people find that it's, you know, it's a scary subject and, uh, you know, if you, uh, you only have to go on Instagram and post something and say it's plyometric to then realize that um, uh, a certain degree of people will bounce back saying, no, it's not because of X, Y, or Z. And I think for me, because of that, that can inhibit us as coaches, as trainers to want to utilize it with our clients. And it's such an important area to use. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the, the definition sometimes gets masked with the, with the social media side of things. So everyone now thinks that a plyometric is a box jump. And the higher the box jump, the better, right? Um, when actually that might not be the plyometric aspect of it, that, that's more the power training side of it. And then they're therefore defined differently as well. Perfect. And that, 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 that kind of comes on to what I was about to ask you is, <laughs> where does it sit in the training spectrum? And, and is it different to power? Because we, we often, we kind of put the two together, don't we, quite a lot. I know I'm guilty of it sometimes is, you know it's a power exercise is it a plyometric exercise and can you kind of uh, maybe uh, give us a little bit more of a definitive answer or a, a spectrum around where power and plyometrics sit apart and where they meet yeah i think there's i think actually power is the is the is actually the overriding term that sits over the top of plyometric and maybe some of the other forms of power training because you know passage is mass times acceleration right so it's more of a a physics a physics term that helps explain plyometrics whereas like a box jump you're looking at that contact time again and that rate of acceleration with regards to a plyometric you have to reduce the range down so that you can increase acceleration which then moves your mass faster got yeah so a box jump from seated will be very different from a landing box jump from, from a height. Got ya. So the actual movement's the same, but it's the time that then changes the uh, physiological adaption that you're looking to create. Got you. So the difference, if we were kind of thinking about that, like you say, that difference is either a box jump from standing or from seated where you are already in contact with the floor. So you're not leaving the floor in order to produce the power to get up. So that's like a starting power. Um, mm -hmm. And then plyometrics is if you were to say, like you say, if you were to have two boxes apart and you were to drop off of one, land and accelerate to get onto the other, exactly. that would then be where you 
turn it into a plyometric defined exercise. Correct, correct. And then obviously there's the spectrum of that. So if you just take the squat as an example, yep. you've got that right down the very end of the velocity scale, you've got that max one rep <laughs> grind it out kind of, of feeling all the way through up towards plyometric. And then you've got the uh, strength, you've got your hypertrophy all sitting over the top of that spectrum to help define the speed of that lift, basically. Yeah, I like that. I like that because I think often if we were doing classic periodization, you'd go endurance, then uh -huh. strength, then you go power. But actually, you're kind of you're talking about speed as the spectrum and the periodization almost. It's almost like a within itself is it is slightly different. That's Correct. what I'm kind of getting out of it is you the way we think about how we perhaps how we program it is slightly different and you can start slower and actually like you say you've almost got to start at a point slower and learn the movement then you're kind of getting heavier but then heavier doesn't then relate to then all of a sudden becoming super explosive no it's a component of it uh, like we've suggested is you have to have all the tools available so that you can work on the uh, on the one percent on that because plyometrics is that tip tip of the iceberg really it's utilizing all the neural uh physiological things that you've worked on previously to kind of bring it all together right. but yeah exactly as you said it's speed's a variable that we should consider so then you have to back off the load so although yeah. then going up on the load for power or one rep strength max strength then you're going into your power phase potentially but then you have to really start backing off on the load that you're using in order to be able to accelerate, right? Correct. What, what sort of, if we were to talk about like a one rep max of a, let's say a squat, to then being able to go to like a repetitive squat jump, a plyometric mm -hmm. squat jump, what would be the maximum kind of, what would be your loading as far as like a percentage? Would you, would you quantify that? You're testing me now uh, so i think what we've we've kind of assumed as we've gone through this process working with individual athletes obviously that means that there's an individual load accumulated with those guys because you have some people that can grind out a rep wow. and can spend what seemingly a decade lifting that one rep max but as soon as you drop it down they can't get the speed and power so you might have to drop it down lower than what you would normally do with someone else because that's what they lack. I think this is where we start to actually need to, especially as personal trainers, utilize some of those resources that the S&C industry is starting to produce with regards to velocity uh, measurements to see how our athletes or clients are performing. Yeah. Um, I think what we tend to see, especially for accelerative movements of those power utilizations, 40% one minute max is a, is a good number to hit because then you can focus on technique produce force, maximum intent. And if they can lift heavier than that, great. But it's a good starting point. If they want, if you want to go down towards like 30% because they're uh, learning the movement, then that's your own coach's eye. Yeah, that's a, and I think that's a really important point is actually, I, I like that. I like that little, uh, that little case study there of some people, although they'll be able to lift maximally very heavy, but actually, you know what, when it comes down to power, although we may have this, 40% marker, they may not be able to produce um, plyometric um, ability at that. They may need to go down further. I think that's really, 
quite key is that it's all down to the individual and I guess the makeup of their muscle and the makeup of their fascia and, mm-hmm. and how they utilize it as well as training age and, and just having, having experience with the movements. Yeah, as an, as an example of the, of the cascade of load that can happen is we have a, uh, so I also trained um, a couple of world champion kickboxers for a while as well when we were doing physical stuff. And uh, he, he was a, a pretty good all-round athlete. He could sprint at like 30 kph. He could do 10 chin-ups, could go 10 rounds, but also could nearly deadlift 200 kilos. And he only weighed... 72 kilos himself so from 200 kilo deadlift for his plyometric we were only using two kilogram dumbbells in each hand right wow because of that stretch shortening cycle and those micro movements and the ability to translate force quickly that's all we needed fantastic and i guess that comes into as well i've like we say i've worked with you on your plyometric sessions Mm. and your plyometric sessions to let the audience know is more geared towards and tailored towards running um and and i guess that comes into it as well is what's your goal and why are you trying to gain that plyometric ability and but because we're working on running and um i mean i know that you just we would just work with body weight we don't use any kit at all absolutely no kit and i always know that i've had a really good session at the end because i feel upright i feel uh, quite bouncy and quite energized by it, which is kind of the what I feel is what I, sh- I shouldn't be drained at the end yeah. of a session. I should be almost like snappy. Uh, we've got that that pack going on, right? We've got yep. um, we've got that little bit of kick up the arse and the fires in, in <laughs> uh, the fires in the system, right? So um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, it, you know I can testify to that and and, and so, absolutely i think when we go in plyometric that you don't even need to utilize load which is fantastic at this point in time with more of us doing online training if we can get away with giving clients maximum output with minimum input to minimum expense and minimal environment you know they might be in their bedroom we can harness and get the most out of them in in that environment with no kit. That's a yeah. fantastic thing to be able to do. So I think again comes in nicely to really Fletch. What what are the benefits of ply, plyometrics and can normal people benefit from plyometrics and and how will it benefit their lives? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I think again, it's quite clear to define what a normal person is because. You know, we've, we've all got different clients and we work in different environments and some people, their, their goal is to get out of a chair pain-free and <laughs> it, it really depends on what the goal of, of the session, goal of the person, goal of the micro or macro cycle is to try and achieve. And I think when we talk about normal people, we try to talk about people that haven't got pain, people who haven't got injuries that we're trying to work around, but it could benefit them as well. But they may be training three times a week. They're quite active. Uh, stress levels are quite medium to medium to high because that's what normal now is. Um, and uh, with those kind of people, 
you might expect them to run every now and again. You might expect them to suddenly change direction quickly. You might expect them to uh, lift something that's probably not <laughs> via the guidelines of the manual handling guidebook. You know, these kind of things that crop up require power, require muscle function. And that's one of the biggest things that I think plyometrics leads up to, or plyometrics is the tip of the iceberg of, is muscle function. It's the brain telling that muscle to fire quickly. And we have to go through the, pro like you explained earlier on, we have to go through those processes of endurance and strength and everything else to make sure the muscle has the capacity to do it. But then we have to actually try and get it to do it. Yeah. So if you can imagine uh, someone who just plays recreational football, they want to try and change direction quickly. That's going to involve the muscle supporting that knee so that they don't go into potentially rolling the ankle. You know, it doesn't always involve the quads, hamstrings, and glutes. You've also got plyometric abilities of the perineals, of the tibialis posterior. Those things also require the same function. So uh, planting that leg, changing direction quickly, that's going to involve... Uh, some some high load <laughs> really it's movement focus isn't it it's movement focus potentially it's, it's you know especially with coaching it's focusing on what how the body's moving what the joints are doing mm -hmm. and it, i guess if that's all looked after then the muscles will look after themselves yeah well they, they, they definitely will have a better environment to work with yeah. and we see the biggest injuries uh, injury risk is when either muscle doesn't switch on fast enough so then the ligaments have to do the job of the muscle, which we know is a bad thing, because then that's when things like strained ligaments happen, which is actually just a very micro stretch of the ligament because it had to jump in and help out. Um, so if we can get those muscles to support those joints better with quicker, faster reaction times, then it means our ligaments are more uh, safely looked after as well. Right. So, so really, so plyometrics would be, could be really advantageous before doing you know any type of sport specifically you know any sport with change direction um then a, a warm-up would would have to include some kind of level of plyometric work potentially yeah exactly when you talk about pap earlier on the post-activation potentiation those things potentially could benefit the sport itself so we we do it with uh with our fighters They'll do a little bit of shadow boxing beforehand, and then they'll do some, some of the old spotty dogs, those fast feet, yep. just to get that neuromuscular connection going with everything, just to get that engine revving to make sure it's a fight or flight, basically is what you're trying to, trying to get in, in part of with regards to sport. Those quick reaction times, those uh, quick neuro pathways, that's what will help. But rather than plyometrics, when, when coached well and, and strategically developed should actually lower the chances of becoming injured and, and enhance performance rather than you know what i think people often consider is or there's quite a high chance of injury if i if i warm my clients up with that classic three minutes on a cross trainer and hmm. we static stretching and then i ask them to do a set of plyometric lunges and all of a sudden a hamstring goes or our ankle rolls I mean, that's, I think, what is classically thought of um, mm. when people think about the scenarios of plyometric training, specific, especially in the gym and especially with like we're talking about now, which is like your regular gym audience. Mm. Uh, but actually, 
you know, like you say, and what we're trying to get at here, I think, is that um, Flymetrics has the ability to actually um, reduce the risk of injury when when placed into programming well. Yeah, and I think also place, but also a volume also has a massive part to play in that as well, because you can do a single leg hop two times and walk away completely unscathed. You do that 10,000 times and suddenly it becomes a problem. <laughs> so I think we really do have to be careful how much we're doing because imagine there's three to, depending on what you're doing, three to six times body weight going through that ankle at any time. Especially if you're running, you're looking at towards the three mark. If you're sprinting hard or jumping off a high box, you can, you can really ramp up those loads heavy. And, uh, then tissue tolerance becomes a big thing. So that decline in tissue tolerance then starts to lead on the road towards injury. So if you've got someone doing a, a sprint workout, obviously I'm talking with regards to runners, but we'll try and bring it backwards and forwards to different populations. But if, say for example, as a runner, you've got them doing a hard sprint workout. You're not going to get them doing 50, 60 reps of a pogo before they go and do that because that may be just tipping them over the edge especially if they're new, you might only do five jumps and leave it there. Get them on the, on the track, get them sprinting. If they're a high, uh, high performance elite athlete, you might then get them doing 20 reps to get them up and get them fired up and then send them out there. It depends, I think, is the big overriding factor on that. Okay, so, so volume-wise, we're, we're thinking, yeah, okay, that's a, that is a definite it depends. and You've got to get enough stimulus in but without too much out. And uh, what would you, would you say like just watching movement quality would be a good time to kind of call it in that spectrum? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where we can also look at velocity as well. Um, I use a, a piece of kit that we just strap around someone and we can measure body speed. Okay. So we can see fatigue happening before we can see it sometimes. You know, you, you develop your coach's eye and you can kind of see things going but it's also nice to kind of clarify that with some kind of metric, um, especially when it comes to pogos or like a vertical jump, for example, you're getting them to do five reps or 10 reps back to back to see the decline. You have to see a lot of squat jumps to make sure you're seeing the speed difference between them, yes. but be able to go, okay, you've dropped off like 10% here. Let's just call it there. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's, I'll often use it with my clients and just say like, when it goes, it goes. And when you just, mm. like you have it's almost like that zero point that, that some athletes will use. And by what I'm uh, to very quickly go into that, you know, uh, a lot of coaches use this zero point where it's almost like that fluid power, which is almost effortless. Mm. And when you start to, if you're not putting enough in, then can, you know, can you put a little bit, is it, is it a minus one or a minus two? And sometimes, but then you can go the other way, can't you? Where you're almost trying too hard. Yeah. Hard plyometrics doesn't work does it we know that like when you're starting to put grimace then actually you're not really um uh, you're not really doing that plyometric effectively anymore no exactly and i think that's where the reps and sets comes into it is okay right let's start with success first and work back towards failure so okay so you got okay we know potentially you could do 10 reps let's just do two let's just nail those two get that stretch reflex going, get that adaption going. And then next time we'll come back and do four. Let's see if we can repeat that same effort and quality, like you mentioned, over and over and over again. And how long would you give someone? So someone to, was to come to you and say, right, I want to join in the plyometric session. Mm. Uh, 
what would be your kind of the duration of a plyometric session for a beginner or you know can you how, how would you scale it you know or if you let's say not your virtual workshop the actual plyometric session but if you had a someone come to you and you could manipulate and do some plyometrics with some strength um, you might put a bit of the both in there in a session or mm. a bit of mobility in plyometrics i mean what would be your your kind of guidelines for duration or, or free well, I think that it kind of depends because <laughs> if you're looking at someone who wants to solely work on the power, because I think there's really popular form of training coming along called contrast training. I don't know whether everyone's heard of that before, but it's like super low velocity movement, like a heavy deadlift, followed up by a high velocity movement, like a squat jump or something like that. Um, that's becoming very popular because of the efficiency of, of targeting both two different modalities, but also potentially complementing each other with that PAP. So that post-activation potentiation thing. Um, that's quite good to use with beginners because you get a little bit of work done. They feel like they've actually achieved something as well. And you can also fill in the gaps of recovery time. I think the biggest thing with plyometrics is a fear for trainers is the silence that can happen. <laughs> You're looking at maybe two to three, maybe even four minutes of recovery sometimes. Okay, so two to two to four minutes of recovery um, would be a good starting point. For, for yeah, well, again, depends on the client. But if someone's coming along and they just seem to be fatigued by the end of that one, you may give them more towards the four to give them the ability to perform that bout again, or whether that movement is to the highest quality possible. As they start to become more in tune or start to adapt better and or maybe just get a little bit stronger and start to feel the groove then you can bring them down towards that two minute recovery again right okay so if you're trying to you know it's like trying to build the ultimate sandwich as far as the performance and you yeah. know just put all meat then you have to chew through it right so you've got to put yeah. out sauce and the right condiments as far as like rest periods if you can layer in some good condiments in there some high quality ones then it's only going to make the taste of the sandwich better yeah and i'm very hungry now as well <laughs> um so yeah okay that's good to know and i think that's really good to hear as well it's like some little strategies that we can do to uh, apply plyometrics smartly uh, yeah absolutely but you wouldn't necessarily would you want to do like classic kind of stretching in between power exercises as far as that kind of act you know because we yeah. might be talking active recovery blah 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 what about like passive type exercises how it, would that work well um i think it's an interesting things with regards to the evidence around static stretching i'm sure that's kind of where you're wanting to go um <laughs> like yes uh so the general theme the evidence is suggesting because evidence doesn't prove anything evidence only suggests stuff what they found is that some people which is a, a inverted commas respond negatively to passive stretching so their potentiation decreases so when you again go and ask them to do a power move they haven't got the same neurological signals going to the muscles to allow them to contract fast to produce power however there are always outliers so even in that same research paper that concluded that 
the neurological signals of the muscle was dampened when you do a passive stretch, some people responded better. <laughs> so it actually does depend. I'm not a massive fan of, of passive stretching. I think I'm very open with that. Um, if anyone comes in and talks about it, it's just a tool in the toolbox. If it's appropriate and needed, it's a fantastic tool. But it's unlikely during the middle of a session when you're looking at producing power that it would be a tool to use. More than likely, you want to try and think about things that are going to enhance that particular power activation. So we might do something like a very... Uh, very small or concentric, uh, not concentric, very uh, concentrated core exercise, for example. Or maybe we work on uh, something that's a bit more coordinated. So, okay, right, in between those jumps, we're now going to work on you catching a tennis ball. Or uh, we're going to try and work on, okay, that side plank. We're going to do 10 seconds on the side plank and we're going to bring it back in again. Other side, 10 seconds. Whilst we're trying to recover from the jump we just did, we can work on other things at the same time. So we're starting to get some, hopefully the, the listeners um, are starting to hear some, um, some really cool little strategies, some ways to implement it now. So we, we, you know, we, we understand about dosage, I think, a little bit how, how many sets you've talked about that and how long to do it for and how we can implement it and start to feed it into a, into a session or, or a group of sessions and or a, a block of training. I think we're mm. getting to grips with that now. Also, the one, one thing that I think, uh, might be interesting is the frequency how many times a week mm. apply it if we were to do a and is there a difference between a solely plyometric session versus feeding grip feeding it into bits what would you say? i again this all again as always it depends but I, I really do believe there's a time to separate it out completely especially if we are dealing with slightly higher capacity clients athletes they need to have that standalone session because one the other work is so much more taxing that they, we want to try and uh, differentiate the session from their program to know that we're getting enough work and rest between the two sessions. So uh, we're looking at people who are professional runners. Um, they may only have one strength workout a week and they may have one plyometric session a week and that'll be their entire strength sessions done for the entire uh, week. And you just then macro cycle it and, and mesocycle it from there. Um, some other people that are maybe professional basketball players may need a little bit more time doing it but then there is the argument that their sport is also giving them some time in that area as well so again it's uh it's down to the the professional to oversee what is the athlete or client going through on a week basis and then make sure the dosage is enough like medicine, we've, we've got this new thing going around, new thing, it's movement is medicine. It absolutely is, but just like normal medicine, it's about dosage. Too much of a medicine, sometimes things start to go wrong. <laughs> Too little, nothing happens. So we need to be able to very finely tune how much we're giving people. Um, so some people will need more and some people will need less. I think plyometrics maximum is like three times a week, absolute maximum. Especially if you're looking at people that are, looking at producing power, like some of the Olympic weightlifters, they'll probably do a bounding session as part of uh, two or three, two sessions a week. And they may do uh, some other more vertical high velocity stuff when it comes to their snatch, for example. So once a week. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Again, it's, uh, it just helps us to build that picture of how to put it all into, into our, our programming. Um, cool. 
Okay. Well, look, I, the, the kind of the big thing that I want to get onto now is the idea of, we, we've talked a lot about athletes. We've hmm. talked a lot about normal people. What about kids? What about teens? And also what about more active aging elderly population? Is there any scope and is there any reason that we would want to incorporate the idea of plyometrics? And I say that the idea of plyometrics as that underlined word. Um, Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a scope to at least start people on the journey up towards plyometrics. And we sort of spoke briefly beforehand about the spectrum that of training and the tip of the iceberg is plyometrics and you're taking your people on a journey through this uh, training story and you may then dabble in the concept of it at some point with pretty much everyone. Um, I think what we learn from athletes, and this is what uh, Stuart McGill, Professor Stuart McGill has spoken about on many of his courses and maybe his lectures and everything else is what we learn at the absolute 1% of athletes is still relevant to the everyday population and maybe even the deteriorated population. Now that deterioration can be a subjective word, but you know, people that don't necessarily think that they should be using it, it actually is very relevant to, um, like we said before, getting out of a chair requires power. Mm. And if that person is, is lacking power, then that's maybe something you want to work on. So speed then becomes the goal because they lack the capacity to generate speed. Um, kids we probably don't want to load them up too heavy so plyometrics is a fantastic way of them experiencing load because they jump off everything (laughs) and they're playing sports and we know that the more diverse the sports that they play early on the less specific kids get into one particular sport the better um less of the injury rates the less that they're getting into uh overtraining syndromes and so on so um I think there's definitely a place for it in everyone, but again, it's just a dosage thing and also a relevance thing. Right. Doing that needs analysis of that athlete, you'll then go to go, okay, well, this person needs this because they're on the floor for too long. A kid, for example, who wants to develop his rugby, he's a fly half, he needs to be quick. This may be relevant to them, so getting them working their calves a bit harder, get them to decrease the contact time, that may help their propulsive speed. So, yeah, and I think we've talked about it before, Fletch, in, in previous conversations, the idea of deceleration, teaching, teaching people yeah. to decelerate first, right? Um, and Absolutely. that's a great time to do it. I think, I think we understand that, you know, uh, teaching kids early doors is far easier, far better, far more fun for us as coaches than it is when you get this kind of uh, semi-broken adult with bad habits coming towards <laughs> the same thing. I think we, we, the earlier we can get them, um, and doing it properly, the better, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we know the, the kids of the future, and uh, we want to make Olympians start as, as, as uh, start with your one-year-old and work up from there. <laughs> um, but the, the the fantastic thing about kids is they just got zero attention span. So you've got this ability to capture a very small moment in time with someone, and then they're off doing it. So when it comes to plyometrics, it can be quite a, a a coaching challenge because you're trying to get people to land first before they jump kids jump all day so you've got to try and just really dial into what the need of the session is and gamify it for them so you've got a stick and you're stuck in mud you can't stand there freeze statues hold it hold it 
okay, now stand up. And you're really trying to get those people to under, or these populations to understand the benefits of slowing things down first before they go to speed things up later on. And what about the other end as well? We, you know, we talk about the elderly um, and, and people as their bodies start to become less reactive. And I mean, full prevention, plyometrics has got to be, the journey towards plyometrics has got to be beneficial to full prevention and also the ability to, if you do fall, be able to get back up again. Yeah, I think, again, like we were saying before, producing power is a necessary uh, part of daily life. Um, and you're looking at full prevention, the, the, the neurological pathways deteriorate as we get older. So the myelinated nerve fibers start becoming less myelinated. So that hyper broadband signal becomes more like dial up. <laughs> so your reaction times decrease. Uh, therefore, when you do trip on something, your foot landing in front of you in the perfect place is less likely to happen. And so by teaching someone to move and creating those nerve muscle signals, we start to remyelinate those nerve fibers. We start to create those broad broadband connections again. And then those reaction times starts to get quicker. Now, obviously it depends on what we, um, why, because there's obviously some things that happen with aging in regards to those other illnesses that aren't so quite so uh, easy to work with, but, I definitely think that training should be implemented in every population because of that ability to activate muscle fast and also relax it fast. Fantastic. I mean, I think we've, we've established uh, from our time talking now that plyometrics can be for all. Um, hmm. it, it really um, has a place with, with everybody. Um, and I like right at the beginning when you were talking about client's goals and you know even if you are working with a client that is more kind of focused on the way they look and the aesthetic side that actually you can put performance markers in the sand that that allow them as a byproduct to get to there and I'm, i work very similar to you in that sense that you know what let's put a spartan in there or or any other obstacle course race out there <laughs> um, but let's put let's put something in the sand that that's going to challenge you get you out of your comfort zone, give us the ability to train towards something, move in a specific way so that movement isn't just for movement's sake. Um, and I think really that Plyometrics has, has a brilliant place within you being able to design your programs in that way to, to meet your client's goals. So even if, they, if they're after that beach body and getting a bigger chest, um, <laughs> that actually Plyometrics can help, right? Because if we can switch on and off those muscles better than when you get to your bench press you're going to have a better ability to lift heavier weights lift better rep ranges and yeah. it can help that person that wants to build that better body it's going to help their their muscle volume by yeah. biometrics and um and in the same way you know yeah it's 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 just a it's a great tool for those that want to um, because if they can, if they can uh, employ better plyometrics, they can go out and run more often. If they're running, then they're burning calories, and therefore they lose a few extra pounds. But they're just their whole lifestyle changes because they have the ability to do these things. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the important thing for them, for everyone to remember, is that plyometrics doesn't only apply to the lower leg. So it's not just box jumps. It's not just calves. It's not just the feet. You know, like you just said, bench press. Throwing a medicine ball against a wall um, 
or having it drop down towards you and pushing it away is, is just as stretch reflex inducing as uh, landing on the ground and jumping. You know, obviously we're in contact with the floor more than our hands are with our feet. Uh, so it's probably more relevant to most people, but you can work around it and get adaptions and other things like, like the fights I used to work with. We would be working on those very short contact times on the floor to help improving punching power. You know, there's, there's, there's again, it depends on the need analysis, but you've got these two phases of a punch, two phases of a kick that use micro contractions. And that's what we're looking at producing with plyometrics. So Fletch, where can we, so after today, everyone's going to be really inspired to start utilizing yeah. metrics. Um, they're obviously going to need to know more about, you know, dosage, movement quality, what movements are safe, how to perform it, how to coach it. What would you say is a good starting point as far as where do they go out and learn these things and learn a bit of, more about plyometrics? Well, I think there's, a, there's definitely a limited amount of resources when it comes to just learning about plyometrics because uh, I think like we've already established, it's a, it's a very scary subject for some people. And so the, uh, and also because of the, like we said, the, the time dedicated to that work and the recovery necessary is, and is in, in proportionate. So you might need to be working with 20 seconds, you've got four minutes of time to fill. But um, I think the UKCA is doing uh, little workshops that are not necessary to take their qualifications. If you want to just jump on that and do that, it based around plyometrics is a, uh, is a great resource that's very openly available and obviously is uh, with regards to CPDs. But then you've got a full-blown SNC qualifications with regards to maybe as a company called SNC Education or Strength Conditioning Education. Um, you've also then got the idea of jumping into modules at university. Things are going to start changing soon with regards to universities. They're going to start opening up more online content. They're going to have to start diversifying their modules. So there may be opportunities to jump in on a plyometrics module with regards to St. Mary's SNC degree or master's that's coming up. I think that's going to start changing soon and I'm excited to see these things change. Um, having non, not gone through the educational <laughs> pathway myself, uh, I love the idea of just jumping into a, a certain thing that I want to learn, get the information and get out. Um, best thing you can do is find other coaches that are using it and talking about it. I know there's some guys on, uh, on Instagram called strength science. Um, they're doing great work in regards to educating, uh, mainly around basketball, but it's utilizable for everyone. Um, the education's there around the muscle spindles, the Golgi tendon organs, it's all still there. And we just take out the bits we need. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a I'm, I'm excited myself to hear about the university side of things. I think that's a, maybe a little exclusive, guys. Don't take uh, Fletcher's word for that completely. Yeah, no. <laughs> but that's exciting to, to have that, like a little bit of a semi-inside track there on that. Um, and that excites me because, yeah, having done a university degree when I was young and dumb, um, and, <laughs> you know, I would, I, I've always said I would love to go back and redo that degree and but actually to you know what go back and do parts of it and, and get some extra credits and perhaps even have the ability to upgrade my third class uh to something <laughs> a bit more respectable would be uh would be really cool so that's all that's definitely a a really good place to start and i appreciate you kind of uh, giving us a little uh semi heads up on that and and actually as well um you're completely right you've got to go out there and, and spend time with other coaches 
um, like I've spent time with you and I've taken, mm. I've taken lots of great information from you, which I now use with my clients, you know, awesome, so thank you very much for that. Yeah, no worries. You know, honestly, um, and I think uh, if anyone was to, and I think, I, you know, I think we, we speak in the same language here that if anyone, if a, if a coach was to come to me and spend time with me um, uh, and it was, you know, and, and they respected that, then I'd be happy for them to go away and then take and utilize what I've taught them. You know, that's, yeah. that's the beauty of, of coaching is you never stop. And I've got people that I look up to um, and that I follow, including yourself. I, you know, I've, I've, like I say, I've really benefited from your experience with Plyometrics, which is exactly why we're talking about this today. No, uh, thank you very much. So, no, it's good to hear um, some of those things guys and hopefully you guys out there can um, can have a little uh, are inspired like we said are inspired and also um, now have some places to go and start having uh, a look at what's available within the, the plyometric um, side of the training spectrum um, so Fletch where can we find you specifically because I know where I can find you but where can <laughs> Uh, if you check out our website, so it's uh, www. I think it's www.onetrack.club. That's our running club that we use. Um, uh, so you can find us through there if you want to join in on a running session. We talk you through how to structure a run for yourself. We'll talk you through the whole thing, uh, how to warm up. We we'll do an interval session. We do fartleks. We do in, uh, threshold runs, whatever it may be that you want to take part in. Um, or my personal is. Uh, on Instagram is uh, aka underscore Fletch, um, that on Twitter as well. So uh, you can find me there uh, or just drop us an email at Fletch at OneTrack.club. Cool. And, and guys, hopefully um, if you come along on a Friday evening to your plyometric sessions, then, yeah. then you can come and join both of us. And um, <laughs> in those sessions they're really cool sessions there's no kit needed so um yeah hopefully we you know and if you are a listener and you do join us on one of those uh plyometric sessions and let them make sure you say hi as well let us know that you've come from um from this podcast so uh guys today uh fantastic um insight into plyometrics for all hopefully you guys uh, agree with us now that plyometrics has a place in the industry has a place with everybody hopefully you understand a little bit more about what plyometric is and and how it works and how you can uh, begin to implement it and and if you do want to implement it remember to start small start with success and grow um, and grow from there so today guys that was a really informative and a brilliant uh, bit of time spent with Fletch so thank you for that today mate um, and and to our FitPro community, um, we look forward to bringing you another in our podcast series very soon. For today, uh, thank you from me, Coach Azza. Thanks to Fletch. Thank you very much. And have yourselves a very good day. For more information about FitPro education and for details on FitPro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy the today's podcast and see you next time.